I don't know one podcaster who started out their show with a plan for how they were going to monetize and actually pulled it off exactly like they planned. I mean, think about it. Most podcasters, being independent producers, don't have either the experience or the skill to make that kind of a plan, execute on it perfectly, and pull it off. What do we do instead? We do trial and error. We might start with some sort of an affiliate program or maybe Google AdWords on our website. You know, there's all kinds of ways we kind of play around with and experiment with monetization to get our feet wet and to get our brain around the concepts and skills needed in order to successfully monetize. Daniel J. Lewis is one of those guys. He's tried lots of different things. He's had successes with some, not so much success with others. And finally, after years of hard work, is making a living from his podcast and the authority and platform that it has built for him. This episode, we're going to be talking with my friend and podcast coach, Daniel J. Lewis. My name is Kerry Green, and I am the Client Happiness Guy at PodcastFastTrack.com, and this is Podcastification. Podcastification is all about you, teaching you how to podcast, how to put into practice the best practices that I and my team have learned in working with hundreds of clients. You are going to podcast better from listening to this show. If you like what you hear on Podcastification, Please just hit the pause button, swipe to the sharing function on your app, and share this episode with somebody you know will benefit. And if you'd like to get in on more podcastification goodness, you can do it by subscribing to our podcast optimizer email series. And I promise you, you won't get lots of junk. You'll just get one actionable email a week. Go to podcastfasttrack.com slash optimizer. That is enough of that kind of stuff. Let's get you podcastificated right away. Hey, Daniel J. Lewis. Great to have you on the show. Thank you, Carrie. It's great to talk with you. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. As uh, we discussed before we came on air, I've been doing some episodes here and there talking with people about how they monetize their podcasts. And you're one of those people that came to mind when I started thinking about people who have done things because their podcast gave them the platform to do it rather than using the actual podcast itself to generate income, though I know you've done that as well. So I'd love to start out just kind of thinking through where you're at right now. If you could describe for us what types of monetization you have going uh, that have stemmed from your podcasting efforts, and then uh, maybe give us a snapshot of, of, you know, just all that kind of stuff. And we'll go back and kind of unpack how you got there in a moment. Yeah, business has definitely changed over the last 10 years for me, 10 plus years that I've been doing this full time. So presently, my only podcast that I have is the Audacity Podcast. It's been on hiatus for a while, but I'm bringing it back and working on making that consistent. Life has changed. Thank you. I'm a full-time single daddy, so life is very crazy at times. (laughs) I know my little boy will be going to school soon, uh, so that will help, and I'll be getting some episodes out of that podcast as well soon. So that's the, the main marketing aspect and branding aspect, and that's how I've built my reputation and built an audience is through that podcast. Yeah, I've had others, but that's the one that still I would say, this is my podcast that I still host. Then the business is actually primarily through a software service that I provide called My Podcast Reviews that helps people get more podcast ratings and reviews as well as sends them to them automatically so that you don't have to go checking all of those places yourself and don't have to waste time doing that and nearly 1,400 clicks every day checking all of those places. We do that for the podcaster, automated, send them those notifications. That's the primary product or service that I sell now And then affiliates are still a big part of my business for me. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'll definitely want to dig into that. So describe for us a little bit of of how my podcast reviews works. I I assume it's pulling from APIs, various places and that sort of thing, because you've got some programming experience in your background. So tell us a little bit about that. So when you put your podcast into Apple Podcasts, let's just look at that one at first. 
it automatically goes into 175 or up to 175 different countries because Apple has a different catalog for 175 different countries. Some countries like China block almost everything. Some countries block only explicit content. Some countries, there are other certain deals, but generally you could be in up to 175 different countries. In Apple Podcasts, it's not possible for you to switch countries to see your podcast in one of those other catalogs. And Hmm. every catalog has its own ratings, reviews, and ranking for your podcast. So your podcast could be very differently positioned in a different catalog, and you wouldn't even know it, and you can't really go check. Now, Apple does finally, as of 2021, they finally provide a way that you can manually switch in the podcast connect account to check all of your podcast reviews in those different countries but the thing is you've got to do that for 175 different countries and if you want to check multiple times a day multiply the 175 clicks plus how many clicks it takes to get there all of that and you don't even know where you might have new ratings and reviews so you have to go looking not even knowing if something is there and then you have to try and remember is this new is this old have i seen this before so we make all of that much simpler by checking all of that for you and emailing new ratings and reviews to you as well as providing new tools to help you get more ratings reviews and followers for your podcast like we give you a landing page lovethepodcast.com and then you get to customize what comes after the slash for that. So my page is lovethepodcast.com slash audacity. And that's a page you would give your audience to get more ratings and reviews. And it's very speakable too. So I can very easily say, if you love the podcast, then visit lovethepodcast.com slash audacity to give me a five-star rating and review. We also do a similar thing called followthepodcast.com, which instead of focusing on getting more ratings and reviews, helps you get more followers for your podcast. So again, very speakable. And each of these pages are smartly detecting the device viewing the page. So it displays only the appropriate icons for that device. So we don't, for example, show Apple Podcasts on Android because at least as of right now, there is no Apple Podcasts on Android. I think that'll change in the future, but right now we hide it. So we're we're making things much easier for podcasters, saving them time so they don't have to check all of these places, and also helping them to grow their audience by simplifying the tools and making it much easier for your audience or potential audience to engage with your podcast. Yeah, that is a great service. Time saved is is huge in podcasting. I know that everybody who's kind of bootstrapped it from the beginning discovers that really quick. And so I think what you're providing is a great service. Now, tell me about the pricing on those two different options. You mentioned follow the podcast and then love the podcast. Are those one in the same or are they different? Those are included with the main pricing for my podcast reviews. So when you sign up and we don't split features according to different account levels, it's just based on how many podcasts do you want to track? And here's Mm -hmm. a little hint. You can track your competitors podcasts too and learn from what their audience likes or dislikes that they're doing. So it's based on how many podcasts you want to track, whether your own or add some others with it or people you're working with in network and such. So it starts at two podcasts and then goes up from there for how many podcasts that you would want to track. And the the pricing is available on mypodcastreviews.com. That pricing might be changing in 2022 as we're making some big changes, I hope, this year. So I don't want to say a price right now, but it's it's currently, I'll say that uh, for the lowest plan, it would be under $10 a month. Yeah. Okay, great. I love that. Now, we hear sometimes, and this is definitely off the monetization topic. I just, I just have these thoughts turning in my head, and I want to get these out so that we can, uh, we can discuss it because I know other people are probably asking the question. You hear some people kind of poo-pooing ratings and reviews and saying they're really not that important. They don't rank you in iTunes at all, which is true, but they are still valuable, right? I mean, you wouldn't have the business if you didn't think so. So explain to us how you suggest people use the information they're going to get from your database. Yeah, I so wish ratings and reviews did affect your ranking Yeah, because that would be a huge selling point for my business. But no, it doesn't. I actually actively go out there and help people understand, no, this doesn't affect your rating and review or your ranking, which kind of undermines my business a little. But it's not what the ratings and reviews do for you. It's what you can do with the ratings and reviews. So yes, there is that very passive benefit of simply the social proof. Of people see this podcast has a hundred five-star ratings and reviews. Wow, that's pretty cool. 
And that might be as far as the audience or potential audience goes on that passive side of it. The active side is what you do with your ratings and reviews. What we say with my podcast reviews is that you can know, engage, and grow your audience through the power of podcast reviews. So first of all, you can know them, know what they like and what they dislike, because the ratings and reviews are all about what they like and dislike. You can see what's standing out as this is what they're really liking that I'm doing, or they really like when I talk about these particular things. These are the benefits they're getting from my podcast. Some people will share success stories in their reviews or how your podcast has changed their lives. You can also better engage your audience because simply by getting them to take that action, which for many people is a fairly simple action, especially when we make it easier to give a podcast a rating or a review, that engages them just a little bit more deeply into the podcast and makes them actually a little bit more of a loyal listener to your podcast. So you're engaging them and then you can use your reviews to grow your podcast by doing things with those reviews. Just look at the reviews as testimonials. Mm -hmm. Then think about how all of these businesses out there use testimonials in many different ways, like case studies, marketing materials, putting them on their web pages, merchandise, all kinds of things like that, ways that you can grow your audience and engage your audience more deeply by using what other people are saying about your podcast. Even if your podcast is merely for a hobby, you can still use these things. Like if you want to approach a sponsor or an opportunity, like maybe you have the chance to become press at a local event when we're allowed to socialize with people again, and you can say, here's what my audience is saying about my podcast. Check this out. And sometimes that connection is far more relevant than the size of the audience. So to be able to demonstrate that to a sponsor, a potential partner of some sort, an opportunity, or even just for your audience to see and know, or your potential audience to see and know, yes, this is the podcast I want because these other people have the same needs I do and they're loving this podcast too. Yeah, those are great uses. Now, let me just ask you something about the way the system works. Do you have any way that a podcaster can go into your system and search on keywords to see all the ratings and reviews that mention certain topics or mention certain you know data points that they were interested in? Not yet, but that is coming. And we're actually going to display some of that information as well so that you'll eventually be able to see kind of like a tag cloud yeah. to see a lot of people are saying this particular thing about the podcast and liking it. Yeah, that makes sense to me from a, a content perspective, because when you recognize that the topics and the things that are impacting your audience more, you'll be able to make more content on that subject and go even deeper and make your podcast more relevant. Okay. So back to the monetization piece of things. Uh, you've been podcasting full-time since 2011. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you didn't start your podcast in 2011. That's when you went full-time. So, so walk us all the way back to the beginning. How did you get interested in podcasting and why podcasting and you know all that kind of stuff? I started listening to podcasts when they first came out in 2005 on Apple Podcasts, or back then it was called iTunes. Now, that wasn't when podcasts were born, but that's when I learned about podcasts because they were coming to iTunes. And I got hooked. I had a long commute to my job at that point, and I burned out on local radio, talk radio, music, all of my music collection. I'd gone through all of the audiobooks that interested me from the library. I had nothing left, and then I discovered podcasts, and I was totally hooked. And just at some point while listening, I realized, hey, I know how to do this kind of thing. And in fact, I have some funny stories I would like to share and do a podcast about funny stories, being a bachelor at that time. And so that was my first podcast that I launched in 2007, was actually a comedy podcast talking about life as a bachelor and, and morphing into the idea of being just feeling like an amateur at life. And now, oh, I so wish I came up with this term first. But the podcast was basically about hashtag adulting. That's yeah. what it was. And, yeah. Oh man, I missed out on coming up with that term. But <laughs> So that was the first podcast in 2007. And I... I really struggled with that first podcast to make it consistent and get episodes out in any kind of predictable schedule. It took two years to get nine episodes out. At that point, after two years, I just thought, this is ridiculous. This is a pod fade in progress. I need to change some things. 
So I changed up the way I did the podcast. I changed my expectations. I changed the audience's expectations. And I got serious about the podcast and started doing it weekly, even live streaming it for accountability. And along the way, started to really dig into more how to make this work and how to grow it. And then come 2010, I was already listening to several other podcasts about podcasting. Actually, there weren't several other. There were a couple other ones that I knew of at that time. Dave Jackson and a few others. Yeah, yeah. Dave Jackson and Cliff Ravenscraft and Ray Ortega started right around that time as well. And I loved the information I was receiving. But in my mind, I kept thinking, but you're missing this point. Or, but you didn't mention this thing. Or you almost never talk about Audacity. You just say, oh, you can do that in Audacity too. Why not tell me how to do it in Audacity instead of whatever your software is? And you're starting to get an idea of where the word audacity came from with my podcast. So I just realized I'm talking back to my podcasts. I should start my own podcast about podcasting just because I felt like I had something to say. I come from a professional speaking background and a media and production and design background. So I'm very familiar with how to create something that looks and communicates well. And I wanted to communicate some of that education and experience to my audience and just adding an additional perspective. Not that I thought that the others were wrong and I needed to come in and correct them. Although I think I did have some of that kind of arrogance when I first started. Yeah, I think but, we all do. Oh yeah, for sure. And I, I really though just wanted to add value to the space. And so I started the Audacity to Podcast in 2010 and it always had the double meaning that it's both I wanted to feature the software audacity because that's what I was using at that point. But the main meaning was really the guts, the courage, the the strength, the, the resolve to podcast. Because for me, back in 2007, I wanted to originally start a podcast back in 2005. And I had a couple ideas of podcasts that I wanted to start, but I didn't start it until 07. And it took hearing from a couple people just start. It took that to really kick me into gear and to get that courage, that audacity to podcast. And that's what I really wanted to inspire others, whether they're podcasting for a hobby or for business, to have that courage to change the world one listener at a time and to maybe even change their lives, their own lives through podcasting. And that's why I wanted to share. So I started that podcast in 2010, just as feeling like a hobby in a sense. But around that same time, I also wanted to leave my full-time job. I had accomplished all of my dreams and goals at that job. And I felt like it was time to move on. And being a born-again Christian too, I rely heavily on where it seems like God is leading me. And it was very ironic to me that I felt like even though I was in a ministry job at that time, I felt like God was blessing me and my business in a direction away from the official ministry, but in a direction of probably starting my own business. So I launched my own business in 2011, resigned that full-time job, left on good terms with them. And my business originally was in web design. And my thinking was that I realized at some point that the podcast was the piece that I needed to connect me from where I was to getting a customer base. And my thinking back then was every podcaster needs a website and I can design websites fairly quickly. So here we go. I'll design a website for them and for them. And you know, that's a thousand dollars here or $2,000 here. Podcasters I learned don't want to pay $2,000 for a website. So (laughs) no, I eventually moved out of the web design, but it did start as I wanted to design websites for podcasters. Yeah. And so you discovered the market fit wasn't there in terms of the price point that you could charge and and actually get paid for it. But you must have somewhere in there realized there are other things that podcasters need and want that they can afford to pay for. And I know that somewhere in here, the subscription model came up on your radar. So kind of walk us through the next steps. And, and, and I guess part of this probably too is affiliate income. You mentioned that earlier. So, so what was your next step for in monetization and why did you choose that? So it comes down to two words, authority and influence. And what I'm about to say, I really do not mean this in any kind of arrogant, conceited, self-righteous, or haughty way or anything like that. But when I started, I started growing my reputation, my authority, and my influence. Now, you can have lots of influence without authority. 
You know, that's scammers have all influence, no authority. You can have lots of authority, but no influence. That's the guy in his basement that's nerdied out on getting the exact perfect technology, but no one will listen to him. So you need a balance of both authority and influence, and you get that through communicating consistently and personably with your audience. And that's what I was getting from my podcast. So along the way, then people would see me as the expert and I was starting to position myself as an expert. So logical things came from that, like one-on-one consulting. And then there would be group consulting, like a course or a class that I would teach. And when I created my first product that I could sell, where I put it on my website and then waited for someone to press that buy button and it happened overnight, that next day, When I saw that someone had purchased it, it was, I think, a $5 product, and that was it. When someone had purchased it, bing, the light bulb went off, and it's like, wow, this is definitely the way to do it. Even though it's only $5 now, I just need more people to buy this, and my podcast can help promote something like this. And when you look at the most profitable podcasters out there, independent podcasters, they are profiting through some kind of business or something that they're selling of their own that they can scale. And that's the big thing is the ability to scale. One-on-one consulting, you only have so many hours per day. Yes, you can raise your prices, but still you only have so many hours per day and there are only going to be so many people out there willing to follow those higher prices. But a product, you could work for a couple weeks to create a product and then sell that product for months and maybe even years to come. And the subscription perspective of this came from several years ago when I had the idea of creating my podcast reviews. There was nothing out there at that time. There was a little app that worked on Mac computers and it was Mac only and it worked some of the time, certainly not all of the time. And it started breaking and the developer abandoned it. And I thought, I want to create this as a service for podcasters. I think I can do this better. I can centralize it, make it work far faster for them, do far more things. And this would be a subscription service. And originally, I had a free plan, which I'd highly recommend don't offer a free plan. That just doesn't work well. It took so much work to administrate that, to audit, to make sure the policies and procedures are being covered and it ended up costing more money than it was worth but it certainly did help build an email list and now the the subscription is still a very low cost subscription but being able to then scale it to know that if i get a hundred new members tonight i'm going to be happy tomorrow i'm not going to be stressed thinking how am i going to serve these hundred new people i will celebrate because it can scale now to that. And yes, certain costs do increase along the way, server expenses and such, but that's a very minimal scaling. And that's just pressing a couple buttons and then I've scaled. I don't have to worry about that one next person, but it's, it's more diversified as well. Because if I lose a customer here or there, it doesn't hurt as much as if all of my income was in this single basket of these three customers I'm serving. Yeah, I love that. The whole subscription model with the ability to scale is incredibly powerful. The leverage that you can build on that. I've got a couple of courses that I I run and and admittedly haven't promoted as I should, but uh, one of them just kind of took off without my effort and provides enough money every month that, like you said, you're happy when you see that payment come in because you know those people are going to uh, be happy with the product and you're able to scale it. So that's wonderful. Now, talk to us a little bit about affiliate income. You mentioned that it's still a pretty significant part of your revenue. Still implies that you've been doing it for a while. When did you do your first affiliate deal? I think it was for one of my other podcasts and it was simply an Amazon link uh, to a book or a movie, something like that. And getting that first $2 or whatever it was, very small amount in affiliate income was really cool. But as especially having a, a niche podcast, there are better, much better opportunities than like recommending just something generic out there. Because as podcasters, we talk about certain things, especially as we're podcasting about podcasting, 
we're answering questions, we're recommending gear or services. And in all of this, whenever it comes to affiliate stuff, I always look for what is relevant in the context of this. So I'm not taking a sponsorship break or something like that to say, this episode is brought to you by Bluehost or something like that. I don't do that. I haven't seen that. I've tried that in the past with another podcast and it didn't really work well. But what I found really works best with the affiliate stuff is when you're recommending it in the context of valuable content. So if you're talking about microphones, and then when you say, the microphone I like the best is this, and then you mention an affiliate link that you have, and make sure, by the way, that you're following your local regulations for how you're supposed to disclose your affiliate relationship. But when you provide that recommendation, that specific recommendation, and a link where they can purchase it, I think they're far more likely to purchase through that. Or I've seen they definitely are far more likely to purchase through that than to click on a banner ad on your site or to listen to a sponsorship ad, like a 30 second ad in your podcast, because you are convincing them already of the product as you're talking about it. Or maybe you have the opportunity to convince them of it. And then you're providing that call to action of a way that they can purchase it. And that has been huge because there are lots of things that I talk about. Podcasters need tools and they have all of these questions and there might be a tool or a solution out there that solves that thing that they're running into. And if you can provide that, it goes back to what I said earlier, authority and influence. If you have the authority that they trust your recommendations and the influence that they will take action on those recommendations, then when you recommend quality products or services, they'll be far more likely to buy and appreciate you for that because you've pointed them in the right direction for something that they like and appreciate. Yeah, that is great. And I think the two points you've just made, the one about the scaling and the recurring revenue and then the affiliate kind of merge into a beautiful thing if you really take the time to think it through. I have some affiliate relationships with recurring subscription model businesses. And I get a certain percentage of every month's payment that people who sign up through my link make. And so I sell them once and it just continues month after month, building and building and building as more and more people buy through my link. And so podcasters who can think that through and do exactly what Daniel just said, where you're making it relevant to the topic you're already talking about and doing it in a very natural way, but can have recurring revenue at the same time. That's just a win-win for you and for the advertiser because they they are getting uh, their business scaled at the same time through your efforts. Now, this is just another little tip for the audience. There's also some plans that are recurring but don't pay very much, like 1% of the revenue that you generate. That's not a whole lot. But there are others that will give you 30 40 50%. just depends on what it is. So look into the terms. Don't just go out there and sign up for every affiliate. Pick ones that fit your audience, fit your topics and actually will be worth your while to promote. And I think you'll be able to find that affiliate income is a, is a real doable thing. Think about also, what would you be talking about anyway? Even if you weren't paid to talk about it, would you still be recommending this product? And, and in fact, if the answer is yes, then still talk about that product because there is this part of the authority that you're trying to build that when people see you're not just recommending things just because you're paid for it, but you recommend things you're not paid for too. Like for example, in the podcasting space, Hindenburg Journalist, that is my favorite audio editing software if I wasn't already a slave to Adobe. So I use Adobe Audition, but if I could be free from the slavery to Adobe, then I would be using Hindenburg. I highly recommend it. It's so well designed for podcast editing and I get paid nothing from them. I keep asking them for an affiliate program. I keep recommending the software. I'd love to be compensated for the recommendations, but I recommend it anyway. And that kind of thing, I think, speaks loudly to your audience of your authority and your reputation when you recommend quality things, even though you're not being paid for it. So that when you do recommend something and you let them know, I do get paid if you purchase through my link, remind them. But I only recommend products I truly believe in, regardless of earnings. And if you can demonstrate that through your past reputation, they will trust you more and maybe be more likely to purchase that thing too, because then they know he wouldn't be recommending this or she wouldn't be talking about this unless she truly believed in it. Yeah, that's great. I love that. I know that it's 
uh, proven true in my experience as well. So thanks for that additional little tip there. So Daniel, as you've walked through the the journey of starting a podcast, going full-time in the podcast industry through these various channels, building different monetization paths, I'm assuming from everything you've said so far, you would subscribe to the mentality that all the streams of revenue you can get coming in are worth it. Uh, you shouldn't just focus on one basket to put all your eggs in. For sure. Now, there are some that you'll want to focus on more. And maybe if one just isn't working out all that well for you, it's only a dollar here or there, maybe it's not even worth promoting. Like, for example, I used to resell domain registration. I have a domain reseller account, so I can register domains for people, but that would be making $5 a year per person. It's just not worth it to me. So that's one of those things I stopped talking about a long time ago. And please don't come to me asking to buy a domain through me because I don't want to do it anymore. It's just not worth it. Because think of it this way, time is money. You've heard that phrase before. That applies in your podcast as well. If you're going to talk about a product for the sake of monetization or it's part of your monetization strategy, might you do better by talking about a different product that's worth more to both you and your audience than something else. And for me, that was domain reselling, tossed aside, just not worth it to me. And I think not worth it to my audience too, because there are plenty of other places they can get domains for the same price and they can have access to much better support as well, or more frequent 24 seven support, stuff like that. So there are many other options for them. I didn't want to be yet someone else there. But when it comes to what I do talk about, I, I don't try to pick only the highest paying affiliates. I talk about what is relevant. And it's just for me, it's all affiliate stuff is just lumped into one big bucket for me. So I'm not thinking, well, I only get paid a dollar from this affiliate, but I get paid $10 from this affiliate. So I'm going to talk less about that $1 one. No, it's just what is relevant. And then if one particular affiliate, like I have some affiliates that I work with that I only get paid a few dollars a month from them. And I don't talk about them a whole lot. And that has nothing to do with how much I get paid. It's just, that's probably why I don't get paid a whole lot from them is because I don't talk about them much. But when I do talk about that subject, they are definitely in the recommendations. And whenever I do that kind of thing, my, I see my affiliate income from those kinds of affiliates jump as a result of talking about it in those relevant contexts. Yeah, I have seen the same thing in my experience. And I, I have found also that if you can think through different places, different platforms where you can put that affiliate relationship to work for you in an ongoing way, it's beneficial as well. For example, I've done videos demonstrating something I'm an affiliate for. Put those on YouTube and just leave them there with the mention of the affiliate link, the affiliate link disclosed in the description, all of that sort of stuff. And those things generate ongoing leads and ongoing opportunities to build that affiliate income. And it was, even if it's a low dollar amount, it's a one-time effort to make the video okay. and put it on YouTube and it continues to pay me over time. So if I get five bucks per one, but that happens 12 times during the year and I only, I put the video on two years ago, it's like I'm doing nothing for that income. So, And you're still providing value to your audience too, because your audience might have questions. Well, what does that tool look like? How does that tool work? What does he or she like or dislike about that tool? Yeah. You might be answering that question. And by that answer, they may decide I'm not going to purchase that, but I do want to purchase this other one that they recommend instead, because I like how they showed me these things. Yeah, exactly. I can't tell you how many times I've been on a website and I'm very interested in the product, but the website itself, the company's website doesn't show me very clearly what the product does and how to use it. So I'll go to YouTube and I'll find videos on it and they either convince me or don't convince me more than the website did. Uh, yeah. And and if they've got an affiliate link, I'll buy it through their link because I appreciate that they showed me what I wanted to know. So you're you're dead on with that. Daniel, what else have you done in terms of monetization that I haven't covered so far? Well, I've created courses that sell. The thing about courses is you have to keep in mind that at some point they might go out of date. Like yeah. I, right now I have an SEO for podcasters course that I don't promote all that heavily because it is a few years old. 
And there is some information in there that desperately needs to be changed, but I will mm-hmm. be updating that very soon. And I have a WordPress plugin that also I sell that is a subscription-based thing where you purchase the plugin, you get free updates, or you get the updates for as long as you maintain your subscription. And that's really nice too. I started that just because I wanted to fill a need that I saw that podcasters had. And now it's a it's an okay part of my business too. And it's fun to be able to provide that. And I'm a customer of my own products and services yeah. too. And there are the opportunities for things like group coaching or individual coaching. Just for me right now, I know now my strengths and weaknesses for what I'm good at and what I'm not good at in business. And being transparent here, I've learned, especially through the web design stuff, that I'm not very good with follow through if I'm assigned a project from a client and I have to go and do that project and then bring it back to them. I'm not good at that. I don't have the discipline in the right areas to be able to do that. And that's how I lost my last web design client I ever had was going to be hugely profitable. It was one of those clients where I really did not want to do the project. So I overbid on the price. And darn it, they accepted the price without <laughs> without any kind of negotiation. Ah, foiled again. Yeah. And well, I thought, well, okay, I don't want to do this, but I'm going to get paid a whole lot to do this. They ended up firing me because I just was not being diligent enough in the communication. But when they fired me, I felt so relieved. And that's when I realized I can't do this anymore. This is not my strength. I'm better at making a product an individual product or something like that, and then selling it to hundreds or thousands of people than trying to serve one particular company. And even now that my schedule being a full-time daddy, uh, my schedule is very limited. I know as well, like for one-on-one consulting, even though I might be able to charge hundreds of dollars for a certain amount of time, Sometimes it's just, I don't want to do that. I'd rather work on this other thing to improve my podcast reviews or something like that. I'd rather do that than sit down for an hour, a couple hours helping one person. Now, there are times when I still do that, but it's just a matter of where would I rather focus my energy? And I think for anyone trying to build a business around podcasting or around whatever their podcast is about, you have to have stepping stones along the way. Even just with my consulting work, when I first started one-on-one consulting, I was charging, I think, $50 an hour. And this is not at all to brag or show off or anything like that. But the last consulting client I did, whenever that was, I don't remember, was $350 for an hour of consulting. And that was earned. And that was stepped up to that if I started that young guy, when I first started the Audacity to podcast, and I said, my consulting rate is $350. Everyone would be like, who's this guy? I'm never working with him. He's just looking out for money. That was earned through the authority and influence over years of helping people and the experience that comes along with helping people too, so that the next person I help can be better. The same thing with products and services is the next one that you create will be better than the last one. Yeah, I appreciate that. There's just so much there that you shared that's that's wise for people who are uh, maybe just getting into podcasting and trying to figure out should I monetize? How am I going to monetize? A lot of it is just trial and error, and you oh, yeah. and you figure things out as you go along. And I love how your story illustrates that. The WordPress plugin. I remember when I saw that come out, I thought, oh, that's a masterful idea. Uh, it really uh, really meets the needs of a lot of people. And now what you're doing with my podcast reviews, I think it's it's brilliant. Daniel, what uh, what would be your advice to someone who is maybe at those beginning stages of their podcast, but they know it's something they love, it's something they're going to continue to do, and they have a view toward monetizing eventually, but they're just not sure what would it be and how would I do that? What what would be your advice at that stage? I think without getting like all woohoo and stuff, I think you have to think about what is the dream that you want to live. I'm not going to try and sell you the dream in that sense, but I do want you to think, what is it that you actually want to do? Do you want to be running your own business full time? If so, then you want to look at a particular direction, or is it just you want to have your podcast as a hobby and you'd like it to bring in some extra income? Well, that's a different direction. Like look at a podcaster 
like Troy Heinrichs with the Blacklist Exposed podcast that has won awards and has talked to writers and cast, and they've even been included in the TV show, The Blacklist, in certain ways. They do that as a hobby, and they're making money from that podcast because of how they've positioned it and the work they do in that. Other people, like me, my podcast turned into a business, and my podcast supports a business, and I do that business full-time. Podcasting is also a hobby for me as well. So it's, it's all mixed together for me. So you have to think about which direction is that that you want to go. If you want to go the full-time route, then what you need to focus on is making something to sell. That can start out being you and your time, your own expertise, your own experience, knowledge, and your time with some one-on-one consulting. That can lead into discovering these are consistent needs I see people have. So look for those patterns Or maybe you just know your space really well, and you know, these are the questions I always see people asking in Facebook groups. That, By the way, Facebook groups, hugely valuable for that kind of stuff, because as you often see, the same question gets asked over and over and over in some of these Facebook groups. So if you are connected in those groups for whatever your industry is, look for those patterns, and then you might be able to create a product or a resource or maybe some free training that can get people connected with you to build your reputation and authority. So really start small. And it's okay if that first product of yours is a $5 PDF that's one page and it's a checklist. That could be it. That could be the thing that you sell for $5. And if it's a value, then people will respect you for that. So start out small, but with that vision of what other products and services can you create that fit what you talk about in your podcast, and that fit the needs of your audience, and then work on scaling that. And you'll see those ways to scale it. So I can't tell you right now, this is how you scale a product. You will have to discover that along the way. So then for the hobbyist podcast, it's a bit different because you don't want to go full-time. Maybe you like your full-time job, or you just don't want to do the podcast full-time. There, look at ways that you can more easily engage with your audience in a level of value that they will give back to you. The obvious way to do that is with donations. But donations need to be more than simply donate to the podcast. Give them something for that donation, whether that be swag, whether it be a sticker. Hey, you would be amazed sometimes what people will do to get a sticker. Yeah. Because they're big time fans of your podcast. So to get a sticker from you that has your podcast logo on it or a slogan or something like that or a t-shirt. So you can look at merchandise. You can look at donations. You can look at having the people who donate to your podcast or support you, whether that's through Patreon or uh, streaming sats with Podcasting 2.0 or whatever that is. Make them feel part of your podcast, a special part of your podcast. Maybe that's taking a short time in your podcast episode to thank them by name. Maybe it's giving them special titles. Like we did a podcast for the TV show Once Upon a Time. For seven years, we did that podcast and we received donations from that. That's how it was monetized, as well as some affiliate stuff too. But that was a hobby podcast as a sort of outreach of my business. So it was kind of a little muddy there for me. But what we did is Everyone who supported the podcast, we called them heroes because that TV show was about heroes and villains through fairy tales. And so we wanted all of the people who supported us financially to have a special title. So we called them our heroes and we had fun thanking them. We had certain things like if you donate this much, then we do this certain thing for you or you get this special thing. And that was even before we had stickers. Actually, we never had stickers or t-shirts for that podcast, but it was helping them to feel like they belonged. They were part of something by giving value back to the podcast. I like the way that Adam Curry, the co-founder of podcasting, talks about this. He says it's value for value. You as the podcaster are giving value to your audience. What kind of value do they see in that and how can they express that back to you? Like think about when they go to a movie and they sit down for two hours, something, they get popcorn and drinks, which by the time you're finished with that, you're at 50 or or $100 for you and someone with you. Well, how long are they listening to your podcast? And how many episodes are you providing? What kind of change are you making in their lives? And how much do they value that? And how, can, how much can they afford to attribute value to that and give that back to you in some way through either 
donations, which I really recommend something like that, a, a Patreon model, donation model, something where they get that belonging sense and maybe get some bonus content too. Maybe it's the after show is free for or included for your patrons and supporters, or maybe it's a bonus episode once a month or something like that, something just a little bit more that is exclusive to those who are supporting you that way. And that I've seen is the best way to monetize a hobbyist podcast. And some of this stuff certainly crosses over. You can create products for hobbyist podcasts. You can accept donations for a business. There's crossover between these things. But generally, I see that the best way to monetize a podcast is directly from your audience, not thinking sponsors, unless you have a massive podcast. And then how you serve that audience starts to branch out between whether you're doing it full-time or as a hobby. Yeah, that is great advice. And for those of you who are thinking about the donation model that Daniel's talking about, he's mentioned Patreon. That's a platform I've used in the past and it works well for certain types of of give backs to your audience and, and as a thank you. Uh, there's another one that's audio related that I use called Supercast, which is like bonus content kind of stuff that you can send to people who support. And then there's Buy Me a Coffee I've seen around that uh, I think I believe Evo Terra, who's a podcaster about podcasting, uses Buy Me a Coffee. Uh, and it's just basically sending a little tip their way for the value that they're providing. So, Daniel, thanks for those. And I'll give you this one other tip. No matter what platform you use, your audience should probably never hear you say the name of that platform. So if you say, if you're using Patreon, don't tell them, go to patreon.com slash whatever my podcast is, give them a link on your page, even if it redirects. Because what that means is that someday in the future, you may decide to move off of Patreon onto your own platform. So then if you've used a call to action that you fully own, like your own domain, and you're sending them there, then you can change whatever technology or tools you use in the future. And that doesn't invalidate all of those past calls to action. So for us, it was, we said, visit oncepodcast.com slash hero to become a hero. For a while, we did straight PayPal donations. Sometimes we took credit card payments. At some point, we switched to Patreon. Our call to action never had to change because Mm -hmm. we never referred to that brand name. So that's something I highly recommend you do. Refer to your own brand name, not someone else's, unless you absolutely have to. But stick with yours. Yeah, that is such a time saver. I had to switch from Patreon to Supercast when I decided to make that jump. And exactly what you're describing happened. I had mentioned Patreon in some past episodes. And so even six months, eight months, a a year after I made the switch, I'm getting emails from Patreon. Someone signed up to support you. And I'm like, where are they finding this this (laughs) Patreon link? It's out there somewhere. I still haven't tracked that down, by the way. But thanks, Daniel. That's very helpful. Well, Daniel, you've shared so many great pieces of advice here and, and things have just come from hard lessons learned, I'm sure. At this point, what would you say is the greatest benefit you have experienced to being able to establish your own income through a podcast and through the related services that have come from it? For me, it all comes down to my little five-year-old boy that I get to run around in the house with, chase him, play with Legos and and do all of our things and live life with him. That's what it really comes down to me. And I, I'm not making huge bank on all of my businesses and stuff. I'm not wealthy. I'm not even debt-free yet. As much as I want to call into Dave Ramsey and scream, I'm debt-free. <laughs> I am not there yet. That is a goal. But for me, What I love about how this business over years has gotten to be this passive for my business. I love knowing that I can spend this time with my boy and I don't have to worry about, oh, I need to get online. I need to design that website or I need to schedule this call with a client or something like that. For me, and this is not even the purpose for how I designed my business when I first started. But now this is the benefit is that I can be a full-time daddy to my little boy and do my business at nighttime when he's asleep and still see how, how God has so richly blessed that and get that fulfillment, not from my own success, but now being able to see my son's success. That for me is really what it is so much all about now. And then the, the secondary benefit to it is being able to 
see that in other people, to either see that maybe they get to live that kind of dream, or maybe their lives are changed, or they get to help someone else change their lives for the better. And I'd say with podcasting, I think that anyone can change the world. And podcasting is the best way to share a message to change the world. And you might change the world for one person. And that's what I want to inspire other people to do. And so those are the two-sided benefits and reasons for my business's existence. Yeah, and many people don't appreciate what you just said there enough. Because really, when it's all said and done and life is over, the only things we're going to take with us are relationships. Yeah. The only, you know, the money doesn't go, the, the car doesn't go, none of it goes, but our relationships can go with us into eternity. And that is just a wonderful investment that you're making there, Daniel. That's the biggest impact you're going to have in your life right there in that little boy's life. I love it. I love it. Well, Daniel, thanks so much for your time. Where can people find you to find out? Let's, let's just start with in two ways. We got mypodcastreviews.com, correct? Yes. All right. So you can find the product there, sign up there. I'm sure Daniel's got good demos on the site and, you know, go to YouTube and find people using it and see, see what they say about it. And then uh, also, how could they just reach out to you personally if they have questions? Yeah, I'm on most social networks as the Daniel J. Lewis, and that's the letter J in the middle. Or you can contact me through my main website, theaudacitytopodcast.com. And I'll mention uh, a side thing. In case Carrie joins the affiliate program for my podcast reviews, join through his affiliate link so that he can get some of that income. It's not a whole lot, but I'm sure he would appreciate the support. Yeah, yeah. I do appreciate that. Thank you, Daniel. I have seen my podcast reviews for a long time and I've always thought, man, that is such a great idea. But I have just had so many things on the front burner that I've just never got around to looking at it seriously. So after talking to you today, I've got all these all these bells going off in my head of ideas how to use that. So uh, I would love to go check it out and I'll probably have an account signed up within the week. So appreciate it, Daniel, so much. You are very welcome. Thank you, Carrie. This show is brought to you by Podcast Fast Track, where my team provides professional podcasting services without the time suck. Full production, editing, and show notes all in one monthly subscription package. You can find out more at podcastfasttrack.com. Now go out and make it a podcastificating day. Audio editing and show notes by podcastfasttrack.com. Get 15% off your first month by mentioning this show.